Welcome to the Dead End Podcast. Hello. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> so today we're uh, having another book review, kind of. I'm the only one that read it out of our group. Um, it's called The Great Disruption. It was very interesting and it's about an important issue. So I thought we'll just have a conversation about it. Um, it was written in 2011 by Paul Gilding. He's a climate activist from Australia. He um, was head of international affairs or something um, at Greenpeace for a long time. And he also worked as a business consultant, helping um, bigger firms to kind of switch to a more sustainable living style or organization or whatever. And today he's a member of the core faculty of the Cambridge University program for sustainability leadership. The book is kind of targeting climate change in a new perspective. So it's not about like, oh, we have to save endangered species and coral reefs because we all love nature, but it's um, way more pragmatic. And I think therefore also more appealing to a wider group of people because it's talking about the massive implications that climate change has to our economic system. So simply said, his message is when something's unsustainable, it will stop. And with regards to our economic system, it means infinite economic growth on a finite planet is impossible. And ignoring this fact will lead to a point of great disruption, at which point we will have to act very quickly in order to avoid complete chaos and loss of everything our economy has built up until now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the general idea of the book. Um, and it's not like a completely like horror scenario and like of all the bad things that will happen because we are having an economic system that is unsustainable. But he is kind of optimistic about the whole thing because he says that humanity as like a species is very adaptable like when there's a critical moment we are quite good at rapidly changing how our system is working and um, so he says we just have to kind of be pushed to that moment where it's absolutely necessary and inevitable to change otherwise we won't do it so he says although a lot of people like himself are also already saying since like a very long time that we have to change our system. We are just not doing it because that's just kind of how we work mm-hmm. as humans and that we have to hit this like point of no return kind of where it has to happen. Otherwise, we will all die as like humanity. Isn't yeah. there some really big clock put up somewhere just recently? Yeah. Which, seven years? Yeah, it's about seven years now. Yeah, but would that be... Like, I mean, I, I don't think he put up that clock necessarily, no. but like, would, do you think that he would maybe agree with that timeline? Um, probably, I guess. He has a plan within the book. He's kind of giving an outline of what he think has to happen on like a world scale um, in order to combat this crisis. And his plan starts then, around 2010, I think. And it's up until 2050 are like the biggest steps that have to be taken. And then 
um, it still continues for like a hundred years or so to like reach the point where everything is like managed kind of. Um, but for him, like 2050 is like the biggest point in time that we have to focus on, like where all the goals should be directed at. Mm. But yeah, according to him, it's also important to start now with the change. Um, yeah, of course, according to activists like him, sooner is always better than later yeah. uh, in terms of climate um, climate change. But so then is he saying that that's not going to happen? What exactly? That people aren't going to start changing things until they absolutely have to. Yeah, that's yeah. basically what he thinks of when he looks at history and how things happened in the past. And it's always it has to come to like very extreme and visible consequences mm -hmm. for us to change. But so that book was written in 2011. Yeah, that's quite a long time ago. Yeah. So do you think it still holds up? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay. Um, first, I thought it would be interesting to hear like your thoughts or kind of what you know about the connections between climate change and our economic system. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I would say that... Um, if you would put it in very general terms, I guess, like just how an economy is powered is by energy <laughs> mainly. So then, um, yeah, for example, fossil fuels now are way cheaper to extract from the earth or whatever and to then use so that energy is a lot cheaper compared to like, at least in most cases, I would say, like if you take away like subsidies and whatever, um, because then solar energy often is still subsidized, like here in the Netherlands it is at least, like for private consumers, if they would buy solar panels. Um, but then, yeah, fossil fuels uh, are often a lot cheaper uh, to use. So it's a cheaper form of energy, but of course it's a lot more uh, polluting, um, causes a lot more CO2 to be... Um, emitted so yeah at this point in time i think that uh, there's definitely a very strong uh, preference for still choosing the cheapest option or a cheaper option i mean i do think there's a bit of a turnaround which of course has been like going on for quite some time and i think it's getting more and more traction that idea of like sustainability and um, yeah being green but yeah I still think on a on the in the grand scheme of things or whatever it is yeah definitely still fossil fuels um, yeah yeah I agree and I think sustainability isn't gonna be the norm until it's profitable because that's how capitalism works so I think that although there's maybe a bit of a culture shift that's been going on and is still going on about how sustainability has become more important. I think that is still mostly about how do we as a company brand ourselves to be sustainable while still being able to make as much profit 
or even more by greenwashing ourselves mm -hmm. um, by branding as, ourselves as sustainable I think that's the goal of most companies yeah shall ride with the sustainability yeah yeah so yeah. yeah so you say that companies try to change or like change their image because they know that their customers are putting more value into like a sustainable yeah company. Mm -hmm. and so i think that's valuable that's not totally wrong because obviously consumer behavior is very important so if people indicate that sustainability is important to them And companies will have to listen mm -hmm. if that is the tendency then the shift for most people because if they become the majority then that'll affect companies but i think that in capitalism it is impossible to really be sustainable or to to fully be sustainable in terms of not using fossil fuels and only using renewable energy sources etc etc because capitalism in like by its very nature is about the exploitation of resources to the point where that is no longer possible so in that sense i think the title of the book at least is interesting mm -hmm. because it also made me think of marx and communism because marx said okay at a certain point capitalism won't be viable anymore because people will cause uprisings and they're going to revolt And now there's people that have said, actually, what we see is that that's not happening at all. Capitalism is just adapting itself um, and changing so that it can survive. Um, and I just wonder if that is not also going to be the case with sustainability and environmental activism because we live in a capitalist society. Mm -hmm. And I think until capitalism is overthrown in that way, real sustainability or real environmental change or whatever is very difficult to achieve yeah well i think there's another option that is that we just simply run out of oil yeah. or we run out of gas yeah. to exactly extract and then yeah then of course it in, in that scenario or because apparently it's also more difficult to get oil from like deeper down the same with uh, gas i think or with the er earthquakes that we mm -hmm. have in the north of the netherlands like sure then that's like a proper reason to say okay we can't do this anymore like there's such an uprising uh, like people are so yeah i mean their houses are damaged um, earthquakes are <laughs> happening so uh yeah like that's the point or i guess then where the resources just run out or it's just it becomes more expensive to extract oil compared to mm. having solar energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's already now happening. There have been moments already where people were like, okay, we're kind of running out of fossil fuels already. Like we can see the end now, but then they found new resources, for example, in the Antarctica, right? Yeah. And in some other places, but these places, it's way harder to access it there. So that already makes the uh, prices increase which again makes it harder for the rest of the economy um, to increase, for example, the GDP overall, because you basically need fuel for, for everything, for any kind of economy, like for any part of the economy. Um, and yeah, what you also said, Bauter, that the system won't be sustainable um, until the renewable energies are more affordable or like a better, better alternative financially to fossil fuels. That's, of course, one truth but then the other truth is yeah that we will just run out of it yeah. sooner or later so 
Um, and I think that's also interesting because uh, Gilding also worked as a consultant for uh, bigger businesses. And there he says, well, it's just simple maths for companies um, that it makes sense to switch to more sustainable resources now because then you'll be more adaptable to the new market that eventually has to come. Yeah. And when your system is already running on sustainable energy sources, then you have an advantage on the market compared to the companies that still have to adapt then at the point where you cannot use fossil fuels any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an investment now, but like in the long term, it usually pays off uh, for companies to change their business models now already. I thought was very interesting because yeah that's like the whole point of the book as well that like it definitely is um, an important indication for our economy definitely yeah um, and that's already the case now and not only after the point where everybody is forced to switch kind of um, yeah so like regarding renewable energies um, he says that the costs of renewables will decrease and even developing countries will have access to more structured energy supply systems because more money will be invested into these systems because we have to use them as an alternative. Yeah. Um, and for example, saving money on an individual level will be a thing as well because fuel for electric cars is around 80% cheaper than fuel for gasoline vehicles. Um, and then also just to like given perspective, he says like it's a very um, realistic solution because every hour an amount of energy of what humanity uses globally every year hits the earth in form of sunlight and even after taking into account accessibility and converting it into usable energy a year's supply arrives every week uh, just by sunlight which I think was a great thing like to kind of put that into perspective like yeah. how much energy we can actually derive from only that one natural source um, and like one big struggle with that is of course always the storage um, of that energy that like we're still struggling with. And he quoted one like possible solution, which is using cars as energy storage, so that you can like fill up your car uh, with re- renewable energy when mm-hmm. it's uh, available, and then later you can get it out of your car again and sell it to people when you don't have to use your car at that moment. Um, which is of course like nothing that will solve the whole problem, but it's just an example of like, there are already things that we can come up with now yeah. without having like better technology to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I thought that's quite interesting as well. <coughs> it's yeah. for many companies now, like for example, Shell with their, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but their sustainability challenge or whatever, like with the cars driving around for Europe and or traveling in the most sustainable way, I think it was. Yeah, where you pollute the least amount. I To me, that's also like interesting, I guess, and to many people who saw that, because there were so many people who said like, this mm-hmm. is completely ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, that it's more that they are now really trying to push that image, but they're not really doing that much Mm -hmm. like they are in some ways but not really i guess what people would expect if you for example come up with such a challenge yeah um what i still want to say about the uh, north pole even uh they have uh yeah very strong indications or i think they they even know that there are many 
resources under there, um, like under the ice, basically, and both the US and Russia, mostly, but I think also some Scandinavian countries have laid a claim to those resources. Mm -hmm. And what the Russians have done as well as the submarine is put a flag under, like they went under the ice and put a flag it's just in the eyes like so silly when you think about down. it that that's just how you decide this is ours yeah basically to claim and i mean there is like law about that like yeah. how how far from the coastline like you have the economic area that's like 20 miles and then the order exclusive economic zones like 20 miles and then you have uh, basically the the furthest frontier or border into the ocean basically goes up to 200 miles so then yeah there are like i don't i don't know if it's a thing that's still going on because i think also the un stepped in and said like you know we're not going to do this like just stop doing this like we're just mm -hmm. going to leave it as it is it's just uninhabited land mm -hmm. or at least not belonging to either of you treat other countries laying a claim to it um but yeah it's it's still interesting that that then becomes sort of a race like how uh, global warming has made the North Pole basically melt, yeah. making those making it probably possible at some point to extract those resources, which contribute <laughs> to the melting of the North Pole, mm -hmm. and then countries being like, well, this is lovely, like we can you know further sort of go full circle and yeah. really complete uh, uh, yeah complete the circle and. Um, extract even more resources and further contribute to the yeah. problem of global warming yeah it's pretty crazy yeah quite weird so. but it's yeah just not working just because there's like one other source like there is of course at some point a limit to that and i'm just going to read out some facts so he says year after year every individual produces and consumes 2.5 percent more than the year before so by 2050, the world economy will be three times as large as in 2005. And even if there was, and that is even if there was like no growth in population. This is um, data by the International Monetary Fund. And then also regarding that we will have uh, in like roughly 33% increase in population um, as well. Like this is just not manageable. Like it's. Is it then also calculated in with the amount of people that um, will have access to new technologies? I assume so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess that's also a major factor. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I think most people are still moving to cities. Like China, that's still a massive thing. Yeah. Like urbanization. I think we'll have like a percentage of urbanization of 75% in the next, like... 30 years or something, yeah. it's insane as well. And those people will then, of course, become more wealthy, will have access to all these technologies, have access to, yeah, more wealth, I guess, and therefore more polluting behavior, I mm -hmm. guess, yeah. Yeah. What do you think of increasing efficiency as like a solution? Like increasing efficiency of um, resource use? Well, this... Uh, I feel like I'm kind of behind with the with the with how I'm responding to what you're saying, but with the when it comes to the battery as well, which also ties in with the efficiency, 
Um, I know that for a couple of years now, there's been quite a debate about phone batteries where, and, and the same batteries are basically used in cars, but then on a larger scale, how they degrade quite quickly because um, there is, if I'm correct, there's some form of liquid in there and charged particles move through that liquid. But when they do, they leave this sort of scar tissue behind. So it's like slower every time. Exactly. So less particles can uh, move through and also uh, in a, um, it becomes more difficult for them to do so. So that's why after roughly 500 charges, 500 full charges, so from like zero to yeah, 100%, your uh, most phone batteries or batteries in general have lost like between 15 to 20 percent of their capacity so if you fully charge it that means that you will after those 500 charges if you then fully charge it once you only have around 80 percent of the capacity um which is a huge loss also for like car batteries and stuff um but that they now are i don't know what what stage you are exactly but I think they've done tests with it and it, it does work. So in the next couple of years, it will probably just become a thing where you have solid state batteries where um, they use a different material. I think less liquidy at least. Mm -hmm. um, so more, I don't know if it's a proper solid or more resembling a solid, but if charged particles move through um, that, then you have next to no of that uh next to none of that scar tissue forming basically or that yeah so then the lifespan basically of your battery is way way longer and also these batteries are way more efficient at storing energy like the capacity is way higher so that's probably for at least for phone batteries but probably also for car batteries the next big thing where you can just easily because these batteries i think have a capacity that's like between two to three times as big compared to uh, with the same size as the phone batteries now mm -hmm. so yeah that would greatly solve a lot of issues because then with phones nowadays you most screens are still 60 hertz but then you also have like 90 hertz screens and 120 hertz um that's massively draining on the battery also instead of uh, full hd screens you have screens that are like quad hd or probably at some point even 4k it also drains the battery um same with electric cars you, you have all these options that are electric all these advanced things and yeah it just all costs energy um so i think yeah going back to your point about efficiency i think new innovation or i guess inventions as well just uh, would really contribute to yeah solving these problems definitely or do you mean like more efficiency in the sense of that people are just more, um, I guess, yeah, cautious with their energy use? No, what you mean. So like actually increasing the efficiency of how we use resources in production, basically. Yeah. yeah. So um, in the book, it says if the current trends continues, so like how efficiency has increased uh, over the last decades, then we will <laughs> use resources 38% more efficient by 2050, which is like a huge number, if you think of yeah. it. Like if you can see like, this is how much we could and probably will increase in the efficient use of resources. Yeah. Um, but then he also says 
that higher efficiency only increases consumption. It's something that's called like yeah. the rebound effect that you've probably heard of already, <clears throat> which says if you reduce the resources and labor of a product, um, then it will become cheaper, which again increases the demand of the product, yeah. which leads to people buying higher quantities of the product. Even if we eliminate all CO2 emissions from our productions, we simply don't have enough resources to grow food and graze cattles to give people the diet that they're used to now, and also grow trees and plants, and also make plastics for six billion cars and all the other things that yeah. we would need. So we just don't have enough land or resources to provide that. Like it's just not possible on our planet. Yeah. And then there is a quote by the economist Professor Herman Daly. I have no idea if that's the correct pronunciation of his name. Um, the closer the economy approaches the scale of the whole earth, the more it will have to conform to the physical behavior mode of the earth. That behavior mode is a steady state, a system that permits qualitative development, but not aggregate quantitative growth. So like basically says we need a steady state economy that doesn't grow or rely on growth for its stability and functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's also like one big statement of the book, I would say which is hinting at a circular economy. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that will be really difficult. If you see the amount of people nowadays who <coughs> get the new iPhone every single year, for example. Yeah, but then the idea is again, uh, yeah, it might be difficult, but then I also think if you look back at history, people actually accept changes. We just have to do it. Like I think a lot of politicians are very scared of people rioting and going crazy if you tell them, well, you can't have a new iPhone every two years or something. But I think most people actually won't really mind if, it, if it's just not happening, if the iPhone just like takes double the time or, or three times the time um, to like bring out a new generation. I don't think anybody would really care about that. And then also it's not really about what we want because it's just, there's no, no alternative true. really. So um, yeah, he also says, what I think is interesting in the beginning of the book um, about all the plans that he's suggesting later on in the book about what we have to do, like mm -hmm. what the world kind of has to do um, top down to combat the climate crisis. Yes, these things are all expensive, um, but like, what is the alternative? What can we do instead? It's either everything is going down completely or we will change our economic system to a way that is sustainable and that works without exploiting the planet yeah yeah but i find it interesting and terrible but also logical that so everything is framed in terms of the economy yeah everything also now the corona crisis yeah exactly everything is about the economy yeah and i don't think we can get out of that because that's just how ideology works like we we're stuck in that ideology that kind of neoliberalism that spirit of individualism etc etc consumer culture i think it's impossible to get out of that so then indeed the only way i think to change people's behavior that of individuals but also that of companies is really to show how disastrous climate change is for the economy yeah um, which is very depressing because, I mean, if you look at the state of the world, like look at the wildfires in California. Yeah, that, that, that's not enough. Yeah. That is climate change happening right now. Yeah. But that is not enough 
apparently to make people see okay we need to do stuff differently now i don't i guess because a lot of people aren't directly affected by it Mm -hmm. so people say well this sucks but there's nothing we can do yeah and i find it so depressing that the only way that people can be persuaded to change their behavior is to think about okay i don't want to lose money so how am i going to prevent that yeah um i think it's very interesting because um of course this has to do um with how we measure progress which is with the gdp yeah um and every politician is so worried about the gdp um during their reign or whatever um and this is kind of more towards the end of the book but he talks about some alternatives to gdp because he says well maybe it would make sense to just like measure progress in a different way then politicians could focus on that yeah and it wouldn't look so bad on them kind of if the gdp would go down um so he said instead of measuring economic growth in order to determine progress we should focus on quality of life for example and there are different like ideas or models already developed um for example the human development index by the un um, and that is the GDP plus life expectancy plus quality of education in a country, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Happy Planet Index by the New Economics Foundation, which is life satisfaction plus life expectancy divided by the ecological footprint. Um, and that gives an indication for the length and quality of life for present generations uh, divided by the risk to the future generations of any damage being done by um, our cap- uh, done to our capitalistic stocks, um, which I think is also interesting to kind of integrate the indications for future generations into um, the measurement of progress. Progress, yeah. Yeah, I think also with discussions like, for example, general basic income and these things, um, where is that? kind of like a mind shift about um, what is really important to people mm-hmm. and why we're not kind of aiming at making these things happen. Um, or for example, um, the four hour work week. I'm also just listening to another podcast where they talk about that book. Um, and the idea of that book is kind of a lot of people want to earn a lot of money because they want to live a certain lifestyle, mm-hmm. for example, like living in a nice house next to the beach and laying in the sun all day and then going for a swim or snorkeling or surfing and having a nice dinner with friends but what the author of that book is kind of saying is well like you can do that like just go to southeast asia and you need like three thousand euros to do that for like half a year so you don't really have to work 12 hours a day for i don't know how many years to be able to afford that you just kind of yeah you can just do that now if you want to live a simple like happy life close to nature or something yeah exactly i think that's the thing like simple and happy i think many people don't see that you don't need money to be happy as in of course you need some you need like a roof over your head you need whatever probably be nice you know to have a house with a kitchen to have a bed sleep in to some amount of clothes but you don't need the amount of money i think that people think you need to be 
happy or yeah feel fulfilled or whatever uh yeah yeah i think the number that is usually used is like 70 mm-hmm. that if you earn like around 70 75 thousand yeah. dollars a year like if you earn any more than that you just don't get any happier from that but i think even 75 would to me sound like quite a high number i think it you could very well be very happy with yeah. uh quite a lot less yeah if of course like if you have your focus on not necessarily the right things but different things i would say as in did you uh step away from the idea that you need to because you have a certain profession that you need to drive a certain car or you need to live in a certain house if you invite people over or yeah did you need to have certain holidays yeah and yeah basically a certain anything you spend money on just because you are sort of well not stuck i guess but you are so much part of a specific circle or bubble or did you have this yeah particular lifestyle yeah and that again is like tied to then like the american dream and our Mm. economic system again um like having this idea that like anyone can do it and you just have to work hard enough you just have to put in the hours which is of course a ridiculous statement anyway um and what he also talks about in the book is that we will at some point reach the end of economic growth because we're out of resources and that means that the only way that you can improve your wealth then is by directly taking from others and then i think you probably heard this already like this argument well but well isn't it just more natural to kind of like let the poor countries like suffer and suffer from this and like just kind of like let them die and that like the more western uh, more developed countries that they are just saying well yeah but like that's just nature right like stronger winds and people are just dying that's just normal sometimes that just happens and so they just see it as like the natural cause of history kind of i'm sorry it's happening now right um, i mean with yeah the i mean it's definitely already like uh, colonies now. yeah and that's of course like morally rather questionable but it's definitely an option that some people like see in like the further uh, development of the climate crisis and he kind of describes how this scenario would look like if we would kind of let nature run its course or something Um, and he says global economy will crash especially developing countries will experience food shortages governmental systems will slide into chaos Um, but people living in those countries um, they won't just stay where they are and wait to die. They will do everything they can to get into a better place, for example, Europe. Yeah. Um, and there will be a flood of billions of people trying to get into like our countries, like the refugee crisis that we have now, where people are already getting like terrified and are freaking out. That's like that's nothing compared to what might happen yeah. if we don't like redistribute Uh, resources earlier Um, so those are just not a few million people that move straight into refugee camps but like whole countries of people who have nothing to lose because they can't go back like their existence is basically gone and everything they have as a chance is to get into your country like there's not much that you can do against like a force of such a motivated mass of people that have like nothing else 
than trying to get into your country to like get a share of what you have yeah um so then again it's like the question how would you or like how would one as a country react to that um because you could try to accommodate these numbers of people which is crazy task looking at how poorly we're doing at that with like yeah. i don't know like a <laughs> thousand people or so depending on where you're situated but then we would have um, to instantly sort of like from one moment to the next almost we would have to like share our wealth yeah. and i think that would be very difficult for people like as in almost impossible because even now so many people are completely yeah distressed that refugees get housing or whatever or get anything basically yeah get a very small amount uh, of money from the government every month just to survive like that already upsets a lot of people so yeah I would but they're wrong, they're angry at the wrong people right those people if you look at jeff bezos and how much money he has wealth is concentrated in very specific circles and kinds of people and it's a minority of the people who own most of the world's resources and the most wealth so this is obviously very unnuanced but um if jeff bezos gave all of his money away or even half then he would still be terribly rich there was this thing right about how jeff bezos could give every amazon worker a hundred and five thousand dollar bonus and there's a lot of them like all across the world and he would still have the amount of wealth that he would have before the pandemic started it's, um, yeah. it's ridiculous so i think obviously these are terrible scenarios and they might very well happen but i think there is enough wealth but like the yes. average citizen doesn't have to hand in much like their yeah. wealth won't have to be distributed if we now start with like taxing people appropriately preventing people from even hoarding that much wealth like Jeff Bezos. So it's not like the average person who makes 60,000 a year or less than that 30,000 or even a hundred thousand has to give up that much. I would assume. Yeah. They but, would, I think they would, but only like you said, like a small amount. I think if you would earn say a hundred thousand a year, then you will probably be fine with handing in like 15 to 20%. And I guess like people already pay taxes. So it would be, more but yeah what you said as well with taxes the the starting point would be i think especially for the european union to just say like okay like the 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 company tax that we levy is in all countries of the european union is 25 percent. period yeah how the dutch government does it now is that they don't have a specific amount of tax that they uh, tax rate that they levy they just make individual sort of um, contracts with these companies mm -hmm. and they uh, are not public. So no one really knows exactly how much uh, tax they pay, uh, which is crazy, of course. And a lot of other countries have also uh, yeah, criticized that. So I think this sort of race to the bottom of having uh, the uh, levying the least amount of tax, yeah. having the lowest tax rate, that's like one of the the biggest things as well and i think is also taxing individual people i think if there would be a more uh how would you say it uh that all these tax rates are more 
the same or around the same in the whole of the European Union, that would already make such a huge difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because now one of the main arguments is like, if we don't have these very low tax rates, then people will just go somewhere else, especially individual people. If you earn, yeah, let's say around, well, like even for the, the common baker or whatever, if he's earning more than 100, 150,000, he's probably has like some holdings set up somewhere on some, some island where he sort of funnels his money through to get uh, to be able to pay less tax. So if you would be able to just stop that, that would already uh, uh, make it so that there's so much more tax money. Uh, yeah, which you can then invest into the proper areas. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think also like what you said with uh, re- like, of course, it was only an example like giving every Amazon worker 105 thousand dollars but i think what would be even better is that you make in some way these uh, employees a part of the company in that they have shares or they have some part of the company so they uh, profit from the wealth that that company has Mm -hmm. and of course that wouldn't be right as well because i think then in amazon's case uh, these workers would be yeah probably quite rich (laughs) compared to a lot of other workers just because Amazon has become mm-hmm. so big, yeah. but it still would be quite a lot better than yeah the situation that we're in now. I would say yeah definitely. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's always what you also just said. Like if people would have shares of the company they're working for, it can still be unfair in a way or like create large gaps. Um, and in the book talking about redistribution, he's again quoting Professor Herman Daly or however his na- name is being pronounced. And he points out that universities and the military and civil services, for example, have like a range from 15 or 20 to 1 between incomes in their organizations. Um, And he says, well, there is kind of competition in these kind of uh, businesses. So it seems to create enough motivation to make people perform well in order to gain higher positions. Um, However, in comparison to that the range between salaries and and corporates is 500 to one Mm -hmm. um and he says well it's just kind of unjustified because like there's no reason for it there's it's not needed to have such a big difference in salaries within one institution if it's clearly not needed to motivate people um and then he also says when you suggest that there should be governmental restrictions on these things to intervene then senior business figures um, are really against that and they say it would restrict their freedom and the government should not interfere with the market Mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of hypocritical or like a paradox because we have so many limits and regulations in our market like for example about hygiene and food safety um, to take care of health and we impose contract law so people can trust on agreements um and we have laws that make violence illegal like there are so many limits imposed by the government that are just necessary like for our society and like for life in such huge communities as we do yeah um and yeah he summarizes this with that in some areas our system can just not self-correct and we have to intervene um in order to stop our system from destroying itself which it otherwise just would and i think if you even look at yeah. like how banks have been built out um 
just a simple fact that then uh, the, the the board of such a bank or yeah whatever the owners they would say like well but our bank is like so vital to sort of this whole yeah a country basically or to so many customers so many customers lose their money it's the people's money we need to be bailed out like that's what happened during the uh, last economic crisis uh, in uh, 2008 I think it was and then yeah so then of course then the government should be there to help them I mean it's quite the same with like Tesla right that Elon Musk said like just let us be like whatever COVID just let us work let my workers work we need to do this um, I'll take full responsibility um, but that at the same time he had what was it exactly he had asked for COVID support yeah, like as so in for, money to support him yeah so as in like he claimed money from a fund that was there to help businesses who would be affected by the pandemic because they couldn't make as much profit because mm. they had to send their workers home or whatever yeah so it's so interesting so interesting that I mean and it's not for Elon Musk as well as different situation then because apparently he has a lot of shares and he's able to buy more shares the better his company performs so he doesn't have a lot of actual like physical money but um his net worth is i don't know 50 billion or something 40 billion uh so then yeah just the fact that he if if the possibility is there for him to get some money from government of course he's basically first in line he's like oh yeah sure like help me out yeah uh so yeah it's quite uh what you said with like people or those uh, ceos or whatever of board members saying no but like we need this uh free market we just need that to do his work that's they truly only say that if it's in their favor like in any other situation yeah they would never say such a thing and which has been proven as well i guess uh, by for example the the elon musk thing yeah mm, we talked for quite a while already i will just quickly go about like what he says as like what we need as the solution when will we act and how will we act so he says we need a major global crisis in order for politicians to react um, we will act when climate change threatens our economy and our lifestyle. And there are two responses that have to start simultaneously. First, um, assuming that we can fix the economy and still have continuous growth, only reducing carbon emission and increasing efficiency. Um, for example, by decoupling economic growth from material growth. Um, doesn't really work, so it slows down the consequences of consumerism and climate change but we cannot have continuous growth on a finite planet, even if we are decoupling economic growth from material growth. So we need a second response in the long run. And that is, according to him, a new economy. So a shift from consumerism to localized economy and global cooperation. Um, that entails a closed loop system with no waste aligned with bio biology and um, the ecosystem and a focus on quality of life and stronger, resilient communities. Um, 
He says we have to design an economy that creates social and political stability, especially during the transitioning phase from our current economic system, so we don't get lost in chaos. Um, that could, for example, be a cap and trade system on key resources. Um, so resource supply like water, fisheries, but also pollution amounts. And for example, also moving taxes from things that we want more of, so labor, to things where we want less of, that's pollution and resources. So we should encourage employment and discourage material use. Um, and then he also says we should um, create a system of more flexible working hours and part-time jobs in order to actively encourage people to choose to work less um, and spend less. So we should shift the priority to social interaction, time with family and friends, exploring interests and hobbies um, outside um, of work. Um, yeah, we generally have to design policies that facilitate the improvement of quality of life rather than economic growth. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. Do you want to do a question from the yeah, book? Yeah, I already oh. got the book down. Boucher is guarding it with his phone. Yes. Did you just... Shall I? Yeah. Yes. Ooh, I can do the honors. Very exciting. Stop. No. Okay. All right. What is so important to you that without it, life wouldn't be worth living? Would your answer have been any different 10 years ago? That is the question. <laughs> That's difficult, actually. Yeah. At first, I thought about my senses, if, like... Mm, yes. I think not seeing would be really, really awful for me. Not being able to see. Okay. But I don't know if that's, like, a... I was going to say friendship, but... Yeah, I'm not say I'm not sure, like, in what kind of because like love I couldn't live without love or you know these kind of things yeah well, it's about what's important to you so if you say my sight is so important to me that I could not live without it well I'd rather be blind than have no social contact with people. right so then maybe yeah being you were wrong is <laughs> the worst thing that could happen to you there are also blind people who live full and happy lives. But then, for example, would I be super unhappy if I would be the last person on Earth, for example, like this scenario? Like, suddenly everybody else is just gone, it's just me. I think I would also kind of have a good time being the only person on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> this is nice to hear for all your friends. Um, okay, but... No, but don't you feel that way? Well, you I... Would, you no. would die quite quickly, you know? Because of the animals. No, just because, like, if, like, for example, the water that comes from the tap, right, mm -hmm. that will quite quickly sort of stop. Well, I have the whole world, and there is water that is not from the tap that is thinkable for humans, you know? Okay, yeah, I know, but, so but then still... you would have the rest of your lonesome life. Yeah. You would have to scour for resources everywhere. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> no, but then, then it's. I think it's not even about the rest of your life. Then it's more about the question of could you, in the the because right like for the first couple like for the first year or two you could probably survive on like this is the this is what we're talking about. 
on like stuff from the supermarket, right? But could you in the in that say a year to year and a half period of time teach yourself to be such a good archer or something or rifle woman that you could hunt and kill or like Definitely. that that you Definitely. would find out like like forage berries or something or other stuff from nature yeah. because that's what you would be dependent on like yeah. in if you are the only person left on earth in in 10 years from now you're not going to be making pasta it's going to be living you know <laughs> no, or baking I can, pizzas i know how to i know how to grow potatoes i can fish and yeah grow fish stuff definitely and, you know like so you would stop being life. vegan yeah of course yeah okay no, that's fair enough would you want to live that kind of life yeah for 10 years you assume i'll die after for, 10 for, years would you rather die than be the only person left on earth absolutely really i yes. wouldn't no thank you no, I, I think, think it would be I think it's interesting yeah really? yeah yeah i think it's oh, really no. interesting I would, do, I would kill myself imagine the kind of like level you get on with like meditation you have all the books in the world that you're just like there for you but who are you gonna share that with? You're the only person on earth. But you can like become enlightened or something because nobody's distracting you with like social interaction. I think you would, well, maybe not you guys, but I think you would generally go insane. Maybe not after a year, but I think you would, I would think you would not survive in terms of you would maybe live, but you would have a terrible life. I think I would have a fine life. Same, like hunting, whatever. Meditating. This is awful. Growing, like growing potatoes in that library yeah. that you're just at all the time. Yeah. But so if you're the only person, there are that... still animals, okay. and I'm defending the animals. I can cuddle the sheep and look at the pretty cows. What if a rabid dog bites you and you just die from rabies? Well, then that will happen. Okay. That can still happen now. Well, well, I mean, really. now you could go to a hospital <laughs> and someone could hopefully save you. Then you can also learn everything about medicine, self-study, be your own doctor. <laughs> yes, that's the goal. This is the but goal. Because like one of, seriously, one of the reasons why we don't do these things is because we have to socialize. That's, that's why you don't perform your own surgery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I actually like recently read that this uh, scientist went to the uh, North Pole, I think. And he had some pain in his like uh, abdomen, bottom right, basically, kind of right above the iliac crest. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is not good. So then he was like, kind of like thinking about it, going for like, okay, what are my symptoms really? He was like, yeah, okay, it's my appendix. And he then went down to lay on the table, like on his back, and he had sort of a mirror set up and without... Um, yeah, or basically with very basic materials, he just, uh, yeah, performed uh, or took out his own appendix, basically mm -hmm. performed that surgery on him while being fully awake, of course, because otherwise he couldn't. So yeah, that, that could be you in like however many years. I mean, you were quite past the age where you have like a higher chance of your appendix, but still, you know, yeah. Could, yeah. See what a fun time you would have, Walter. Yeah. I'm genuinely baffled, but... If you guys want to live that kind of life, then go ahead. What was the actual question you... again? <laughs> the question was, to which my answer stands in stark contrast with whatever you guys were saying. Excuse me. 
What is so important to Vandalism. you? Vandalism. Vandalism. Someone knocked on our window or something. The question was, what is so important to you that without it, life wouldn't be worth living? And then the second question is, would your answer have been any different 10, ten years ago? So I guess to you guys, social contact is not so important. Other people living on this earth with me is not not the... No, then, <laughs> I guess. No, I mean, fair enough. Okay, then. Well, it's still important to me. I still, I'm just saying I wouldn't kill myself just because I'm the only person in the world. No, but it's talking about life worth living. It's not asking what what would it take for you to kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> That's not the question. Yeah, okay, so my answer is friendship. I'm just going to throw it out there because I'm not a psycho. Um, <laughs> Lara looked at me very accusingly. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Friendship. Yeah, also. No. Are you making fun of me for <laughs> valuing friendship in my life? Such a basic answer. But I think for you, then, Walter, would your because Lara and I just can't answer the question. Would your answer have been any different ten years ago? I think so, because I was fourteen at the time. Shut up. And you hated friends. You didn't like your friends then. I didn't have a lot of friends when Good. I was fourteen. Uh, but then I don't know what my answer would have been ten years ago. Go back to that moment when you were fourteen. I don't think I can. I have nor an do answer. Our podcast. That's something that's like that makes my life worth living without the podcast. Same. I would be truly unhappy and ten years ago my answer would have been different because then we didn't have this podcast. Yes. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. Yes. <laughs> See you on the next episode where hopefully we won't have to talk about what would happen to us if we were the only person living on the planet. I like talking about it. Like, I would be happy, like, just talking about it for a whole episode. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, whenever uh, you're, you like, we should delve, do we that. Do, we should like, do that. Like, how we would set up, like, sort of a timeline as yes. well. Like, first day, first 24 hours, yes, first, yes, like, week. Yes, that's so yeah, cool. totally. And then after, like, 10 years, and then hopefully after 50. Yeah, Exciting. like you, ba like just that you basically wait. You go to sleep. The next morning you wake up, and Everybody's there's gone. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah, that's amazing. We should totally do that. Like yeah. we should like both prepare it. Like give set like a outline, and then we compare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, like yeah, so like cool. first hour, first twelve. Yes. Hour. Yeah, totally. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. We like should. It. Well, yeah. See you next week. Okay. I guess then. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Do 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 do. Dead end. Overpopulation is a myth.